Guys, welcome back. <clears throat> NBA Finals kicking in gear. Milwaukee finally getting a win. Down 2-1 in the series. Game 4 is Wednesday night. SI Sportsbook is coming. Can't make any bets now. But when we're live in Colorado, you better be ready. And then Jersey. Then America. <clears throat> Let's. Uh, I, I want to start just talking about all the point guards that are available. Um, getting into a little offseason action. Not so much the draft yet. And it seems like there's this potential fork in the road, big flex moment. And I want to talk about the other big flex moments that happen in NBA history. What do I mean by sort of this big epiphany moment that leads more into positionless basketball? We talked a lot about this on Rosenballs, right? In the sense that in general today, you don't you don't want to look at it like, you know, I need a point guard, I need a shooting guard, small forward, power forward, and center. I remember how silly it was, um, you know, when Rick Pitino took over the Celtics. I have a lot of Rick Pitino stories. One of them is when he took over the Celtics, uh, I want to say in year two or three, right, we, you know, we had drafted Ron Mercer under him. We traded him. We got Danny Fortson back, right? So Pierce... I'm sorry, Patino traded uh, Mercer in the offseason to get Danny Fortson. So obviously getting Danny Fortson, it, it kind of shifts everyone's positions. Uh, and the biggest shift, which he did not realize, was actually moving Antoine Walker from power forward to small forward. No, he was more obsessed with what the impact would be from moving Paul Pierce from small forward to shooting guard. So he made Paul Pierce, who's coming off... You know, season averaging 25-plus, maybe 20-plus, right? Second or third year, this is going down. Uh, he puts him in the Summer League. Now, this is not the Las Vegas Summer League, which, you know, now has decent talent. Um, you have a mix of veterans that play. Uh, guys are trying to maybe make a comeback, but mainly, you know, first, second-year players that people are trying to get an extended look on. This was the UMass Summer League in Boston, off the red line. used to go here. I was taking uh, uh, summer courses at Brookline High. I would take the T to, uh, to Park Street, switch to the red, take it to UMass, watch them summer league ball for $8. It was amazing. And then you're just in the game. You don't have to. It's $8 all-in ticket. I would go with a couple of buddies. We would talk to some GMs. They'd be like, what the hell are you kids doing? Steve Javi was there. He was in charge of the of tutoring the refs. He was shocked. I knew who he was. Um, but I bring it up because Pierce dominated at shooting guard, obviously. And it was so pointless. I was actually thinking, I'm like, you know, we have guys we need to develop here. Like, what the hell is Jerome Moiso? Answer, nothing. He's not in the NBA. I, I mean, after like two years, he wasn't. Um, what are some of these other pieces that we have? No, we need to find out Paul Pierce can play shooting guard. Um, I don't think you're going to answer that any either way. Like, he's going to dominate UMass. So he was putting up, like, 20 in two seconds or 40 in, like, a minute. It was crazy. He was completely dominating it. It's like watching LeBron play in, in a D3 high school. It was just so crazy. And I bring that up because Patino didn't understand that there's really not much of a difference between small forward and shooting guard. The biggest difference is not on the offensive end. So, like, it doesn't matter what Pierce is doing offensively. The biggest difference 
is clearly on the defensive end, right? And you can shift around that. You can be clever on defense to minimize that. What I mean is, certain positions, there's really a meaningless delineation between them. So shooting guard, small forward, really just a wing, right? Even power forward and center. So it depends on who you're defending. But in today's NBA, it's not... It's become positionless. It's not, um, you know, any more five positions. And Jalen Rose says it best, where the NBA created positions so a novice can follow the game. And and, and kind of, I would say Red Orbach kind of took it under his own, where he maybe kind of made one offense, one defense for the guards and the forwards, and then the defensive center, that was his style. Um, and people just got lazy and just, you know, it was habit. And, and, you know, they don't want to challenge established beliefs. But the truth is, today's NBA, I would say it's more not only from five. So more from five to, I would say, three recently, let's say, which is bigs, wings, and point guards. I'm going to go a step further. I'm going to say it morphed into, it should be morphing into two. And eventually it's going to be one. Right? But it's really now two where it's bigs, wings, and within the wings, you want a wing that can handle, okay? But that still means wings. You just want one of them that can handle. So what do I mean by that? What I mean is you don't need a classic point guard. I mean, this has been the case for a while. You don't need a John Stockton, a Kevin Johnson, uh, even a Chris Paul. I mean, they're great to have. They're available. They're talented. But you just need a, a wing that can set up the offense, and a lot of teams have their offense running through their wings. Paul George, Jason Tatum, LeBron James. So it, it makes the most sense to do that. So that's so you're going to see a bubble moment where all these teams now who are struggling or need sort of a, let's call it, an element of change, are now presenting their point guards as trade bait. I, I shouldn't go that drastic, but they seem to be readily available. And I think the teams looking to deal the point guards are not looking to get those point guards back. They're looking to get size and, and, and namely uh, wings in return. And, and you're going to see a, a clean supply and demand come out. And it's another interesting moment because this happened with centers a few years back. I would say the, the, the death of the center, you could say, started, uh, you know, uh, even years ago where Miami, I would say, when they were beating San Antonio in that series, were essentially putting Chris Bosh at the five. They were playing small with Bosh and Battier uh, and LeBron there in their front court. That's small for the time. And and they were bringing, um, you know, uh, Bosh out, right? That was their way of going small. And that worked. And then you saw the other series where Kevin Love was played off the series. Uh, Mozgov, who got a massive contract, couldn't even get on the court. Roy Hibbert was played off. Roy Hibbert's probably the uh, the rise and fall of the, the modern-day center, where in the beginning you wanted a guy like Roy Hibbert who could, you know, have his hands up, be a lateral guy defensively. And then in the uh, Miami series, the conference finals years ago, he was played off the court. He was famously not on the last play where LeBron had a buzzer beating a layup. Uh, but there was a reason for that, right? And, and you know, there's a huge disadvantage in the NBA playing four on five on offense. And then on defense, 
if you're going to play four and five, you better do everything defensively. So what I mean by that is not only protect the rim, but what's more important is that you could show and play back on a pick and roll. And a lot of modern day centers can't do that. Too stiff. What do I mean by that? Is if you're playing against, you know, Chris Paul and he gets a switch on you, you can stay in front of him as a center. If he doesn't get the switch on you, you're quick enough to move back on the pick and roll and, and hedge back. So you can do both things on a pick and roll. It's not a big deal if someone gets a switch on you. You're not going to be on skates. Um, and a lot of modern day centers, they have that um, that issue. And that's that's a big reason. It's actually defensively why they got played on, off the floor. Not offensively, that's the issue. You can't be a train wreck um, on either end. Defensively, it's harder because you can get picked on now in the NBA uh, on a pick and roll. And if you're getting picked on a pick and roll, you're talking foul line in shots or getting people to the free throw line, which are the you know more of the easier buckets in the NBA. And I think, you know, just like it came full circle with centers, where now you have, you know, I would say guys who in the past were quality centers, you could have for nothing, right? So, you know, DeMarcus Cousins years ago, and you can say, oh, it's the injury. It's not the injury. It's not. You can still dominate a game offensively. It doesn't matter. And look, teams still want that for 15 minutes a night off the bench, and he'll have that for the rest of his career. Where DeMarcus Cousins was four or five years ago, you know, the the perennial all-star was being thrown out. You know, he was all-NBA third team at least. I mean, he was in a top 15, top 20 best player conversation. Easy. And now, is he top 300? I don't, I don't think he is. So, you know, that's what I mean by the modern-day center. And, like, but not, now I don't want to go crazy the other end, right? It doesn't mean you eradicate centers. It just means what you look for in a center is different. So... Instead of, you know, needing to have a low post game, which is meaningless now, because, it, you know, people understand, like, oh, the point per possession isn't that impressive, right? So guys like Jaleel Okafor, you know, I don't need – it's kind of nice if my backup big could play in the post. It's not necessary at all. And if he does, I got to be able to play through him. So he can be able to pass out. He can get some assists, kind of like uh, Pau Gasol. Jaleel for can't pass so well off, off uh, the low block. So the modern center needs different things. The perfect modern center right now is is kind of like Al Horford, to be honest with you, even though he's older. But a young Al Horford would be perfect. Why? You can play through him so he can pass out of the high post. So he's, he's a threat offensively. He can shoot, right? Um, and he's got a little bit of a low post game. So he's got enough offensively. Defensively, he's great. He hedges on, on the pick and roll. He plays back on the pick and roll. And he could board. And he could he could you know protect the rim when need be. Obviously, Bam Adebayo is another perfect example defensively. Offensively, he can handle. He can get to the rim. His shot is improving. It's not there yet. But he's a perfect modern-day center. Doesn't mean you have to be able to shoot, by the way. You want to be able to do, again, we talked about this in the past. So you want to be able to either dribble, shoot, so in terms of dribble, shoot, defensive flexibility, I want to see two of those things. You know? Um, oh, sorry. I, you need to have defensive flexibility. In addition to defensive flexibility, you need to either, I would say, to dribble or shoot, if not both. So Horford, not the best dribbler, could kind of dribble. Bam could definitely dribble. Right? Other guys could shoot well. Do they have defensive flexibility? Is the question. Right? So... Defensive flexibility is the key. And not many centers 
in today's NBA honestly have, you know, strong defensive flexibility. Obviously, the big guys do. Does Embiid, sort of, sort of, he's a great rim protector, but he's not a great modern-day center. I don't want to go in a whole 40-minute pot here, but, you know, if I'm Philly, I read that. Embiid's the guy I move, not Simmons, because of that. I actually consider Simmons at the five. I don't play Embiid there. I, I think, you know, he gets injured so easily, and he's not a um, – forget his offensive game. Defensively, I, I, I get worried about him. Rudy Gobert, same thing. Utah had to put him off the floor. He was not as effective in that series, even though he got that big contract. And you'll see who realizes who doesn't among the teams. I'm going to pinpoint the Cleveland Cavaliers here. They have Jared Allen as a pending free agent. I like Jared Allen. He's a great rim-running big. He can protect the rim. Okay, he's good. He's not going to be worth nowhere near the cap that the Cavs debate to sign him at. He's looking at, what, five years, 120? That is insane. That is, I was just, insane means it's insanity, and it's insane. You need to use your cap resources for wings. And look, eventually the NBA is going to fix itself, and it won't be this case. It'll be another shift. But you got to play with the shifts. And if you're a dinosaur and the Cavs sign Allen, they're really going to pay hard for it. They need to look at wings and just spend on wings and the draft, same thing. They have enough bigs. They have Larry Nance Jr., they have Kevin Love. It's not hard to get bigs. They got Wade, who was pretty good, Dean Wade. Um, it is not hard to get bigs. Not hard. If you don't have a big, just sign Kylo Quinn. He'll be fine. It is not that hard to get bigs. It is really hard to get quality wings. Everyone's fishing for that. So as a result, the smart teams now are, not, I'm going to call them the smart teams necessarily, just the teams that are aware of this, for a for a decent reason, you start seeing how the point guards are floating on the train market. And by the way, when I say the need for wings, that means also when you're taking on a quote-unquote bad, um, bad contract, right? If you're taking on a bad contract, take a wing. Like it's, I'd rather if I'm taking a bad deal, if I'm doing bad deal for bad deal, let me, let me at least get a wing out of it. So, like the the classic example, I always thought this: the bad deal back in its day was the um, was the uh, J.R. Smith deal. Sorry, a little traffic here, a lot of trucks. Was the J.R. Smith deal? I, I, I see other deals now. You could see which ones are going to slowly become. Bad deals. Besides the J.R. Smith deal. You know, J.R. Smith was an old school bad deal. What's the new version of J.R. Smith? So the guy I look at is Buddy Heald. Look, Buddy Heald's got a lot of J.R. Smith characteristics. Um, he could He's a chucker. What I'll, but, again, he's a wing. What I like about Buddy Heald is not only is he a wing, he can actually play make a little bit. He played a little point before. There's a wing that I could put theoretically, as a ball handling wing. Forget the word point guard. He could be a ball handler wing. So those are the things you got to look at. Does this guy have redeemable qualities as a wing if he's a bad contract and I could get him for, you know, good bang for a buck, maybe unload a bad deal in order to get him. Buddy Heald's the guy for that. But the following point guards are going to be available, and these teams are smart to deal them now. So back to Sacramento, Darren Fox. Look, I like Fox. He's a big point guard. He's 6'4", so he's on the better end. And the reason why I like him is when you're tall, you're kind of a wing. 
So Fox is tall. He's kind of a wing. My concern with Fox, and I say this as a blessing and a curse, he's got a little John Wall in him. What do I mean by that? Just like John Wall, he can explode to the rim. He's a good defender. Um, But in today's NBA, what I get nervous about is extreme usage of one player. So unless you're like Luka and Harden, even then, I don't know if it's great for the team to have an extreme usage guy. I mean, we've all played basketball. Will you play with a guy that's just dribbling the entire time? Uh, It's not so fun to play with, unless you're an extreme off-the-ball guy. But I don't think you could win with an extreme off-the-ball guy. You know, with one high usage and four extreme off-the-balls. I don't think you can. Right? Unless you have, like, the best off-the-ball guys in NBA history, right? Which is, like, what? Like, Ray Allen. Um, That's it. Like, who are you taking? So it's not a good recipe. Today's NBA, I think, and I keep saying this, you need at least four guys in your lineup that you're capable of running an offense through. That they're like, okay, we're going to run a play for him. We're going to run the offense through this guy. You want to have four. The last thing that did it showed that that works, right? So I think Toronto 2019 is a great paradigm for the modern NBA. While everyone talks about Kawhi, he was great. But beyond Kawhi, you can run the offense to Lowry, Pascal Siakam, even Marcus Gasol, Fred Van Fleet. I mean, you had five guys that you can run an offense through. During spurts, you don't need to do them for, like, a whole game, but like even, you know, a couple of possessions. And Atlanta had that, by the way. And Atlanta needs to utilize some of the other guys in that role. Collins uh, in that role a little bit more. But you saw that... This has the makings, right? Young was able to decrease his usage, which was key for that team. And they're able to run the offense not only through Young, Cam Reddish, um, again, Collins a little bit, Bogey, Gallinari. Being able to run your offense through multiple players is how the new NBA is going to look. That's how the new NBA is going to look. Milwaukee's now doing it now, and so is Phoenix. So Milwaukee, you're you're seeing it now. You're running offense. You know, they, they Giannis has decreased his usage, which is helpful. And you run the offense through Holiday Middleton, uh, which is really big. Back to the point guards. So Sacramento is looking to move Fox. They would be smart to. Does it mean you got to double down on a rebuild? Well, again, I always say a couple things. So first off, not many teams are looking to rebuild right now. They're really not. There's going to be teams that are, are looking to that end up rebuilding just because of poor management. But there's not many teams looking to rebuild. So OKC is, but beyond that, there's been word that the Wizards are, they should, or teams should, because these next few drafts are going to be amazing. you got Chet Holgram coming out, who um, is going to Gonzaga. Um, you have, you know, Ivani Bates as well. But beyond them, you're going to have a lot of talent, and if you could double down on these next two drafts, uh, deal guys for multiple picks, what have you, trade for future picks in these drafts, They'll be better for it. So Sacramento, they're thinking the right way. They need to take advantage, though, of the teams that still think they need a point guard, right? So of the teams, a lot of bad drivers on the road today, by the way. This is ridiculous. I've never seen this. Um, So Orlando needs a point guard. And there's not that many teams that need a point guard. So if you're the smart NBA team, you take advantage. You got to strike first because there's a supply and demand here. So look who's on the market. You have Fox, you have Colin Sexton, 
You got Malcolm Brogdon, potentially. Shy, Gilchrist Alexander, if Detroit really wants to do, I mean, if OKC wants to do something drastic. Um, and then there's free agency. Alonzo Ball in free agency. Reggie Jackson's coming off a good free agency. So there's a lot of point guards available, and I'm probably missing a few. That if you're a team with a point guard, you need to unload it now. And there's teams that are not, you know, doing the wise thing right now that have a point guard that they could unload, but they're going to keep hanging on to him until his value just keeps decreasing. The quicker you unload it, cut cut your losses, basically. You're not going to get even value. It's like buying a house at the peak of the market, and now it's dipping. The smart guy realizes it's dipping. Smart guy or gal. Realizes dipping and unloads it immediately. They don't wait to hope the market reverses. It doesn't look like it's going to. So Sacramento got to look, has to look at, you know, I would say either Boston or Orlando, who are the teams that seem to be more most dire need of, of a point guard, or you know, in that in that mix. New York as well. Sorry, those three. If you could do a deal quickly with those three teams, you'll 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 be better off for it. So Fox, you know, and again, the, of the teams, I would say Orlando is probably the most interesting one if you have a young point guard because they have two first-round picks, two of them, right? And I think Orlando is going to use one of their two picks on Devian Mitchell, who I'm calling now is going to be the bust of the draft. Why? This happens every fucking year. I got to curse for it. Me and Elon talk about it all the time. You have these athletic point guards who can't shoot, they cannot shoot, but they're athletic, and they're kind of rugged, and, you know, I don't know who people are even comparing it to. Like, what what NBA comp is this guy? Is this 6'5 athletic point guard like? Penny Hardaway? Like, really, are we going that far back? That's the closest guy. Penny could shoot a little bit, but again, if you look at tall athletic point guards, none of them have really worked in the draft. I, I know a lot of them. Dante Exum failed. Emmanuel Moutier failed. There's, there's plenty that have failed. I don't know that many have that have, success, that have been successful. Now, I'm not going to knock Sean Livingston. could have been. Uh, and I like Sean Livingston a lot. I think he could have been a great player in the draft again. But, you know, got unlucky with injuries, what have you. But he was a three pick. So, I think Orlando is looking at Mitchell. There's nothing looking at a point guard in one of those picks. If I'm Orlando, I'm open to the idea of Darren Fox. And you could say, well, Orlando's not doesn't need a point guard. They have Markel Fultz. Oh, bullcrap. Oh, crap. I don't know. I, I, I don't see that. I think they'll flip it the other way. I think Orlando is going to be willing to move Terrence Ross um, and just double down on, the, on, on maybe another pick, but they definitely want point guards. So for me, you know, that, that's the first team you look at. Chicago is another team. Can I unload one of these point guards that I noted on them? So Fox to Chicago is interesting. But again, the problem with the Bulls is they don't have their current first rounder. So if I'm smart and I'm Sacramento, you know, I, I could take a gamble on Kobe White, who's could still be a good sixth man in this league. But I could get some future picks maybe. Uh, you know, Kobe White and, um, you know, a few firsts is a great idea. Again, double down on future drafts. Chicago's no guarantee to make the playoffs. They're going to have a better team if they do that deal, but that's an interesting idea right there. 
Boston, again, the issue is the just because the assets, and I got to say this, like, you know, Donovan Mitchell, Devin Booker, all these guys were, um, were you know, late lotto, mid-teen first. You know, getting a few of those kind of picks is interesting. So if you can get, you know, two of those, I would consider it. I really would. I think the concept of getting a, you know, getting two picks in these loaded drafts is interesting. So I would look that way. I, I would say instead of getting one really good pick from Orlando, maybe you look at two picks from a Boston or a Chicago and a young guy. And some of their wings. You know, the Celtics have Linkford and A. Smith. Um, and and the Bulls, again, have, um, you know, Kobe White. So you could get that. But that's the way I look for it. Now, the other teams, I, I, I wouldn't... Um, I'm not sure what else they need on the market. You know, Indiana with Brogdon, I'm not sure what else. But um, the smart teams make that deal. The smart teams deal the point guards early and don't look for, they don't look to rip off the other team. They look to get a package, right? It, it, the winners right now, it's too obvious. So no one's that stupid. Meaning like, you know, the Knicks are not going to give you RJ Barrett for Darren Fox. Okay. They're not going to do that. That's a home run deal for Sacramento. If they can do it, they get Halliburton who again plays like a wing. You, you could play make. That's a home run deal. They're not going to do that. You try to go for it. They're not going to do it. Okay. Same thing with Orlando and something someone like Jonathan Isaac. Sure, if I could get Jonathan Isaac, Orlando's first home run for Sacramento. I don't think they do that. Okay? But the smarter teams are not looking for that quote-unquote home run package. They go for the package that at first glance looks like a single or a double. You're like, ah, eh, do they really get that good of a deal? But as the deal matures, you look back and you're like, wow, we got three or four quality guys from one guy. That's a good deal. So, again, the Darren Fox or, again, insert other point guard, Malcolm Brogdon, whoever you want to say, to Boston for a package of smart Naismith expiring deals like Thompson, Robert Williams, future picks is an interesting package. Um, same thing with Chicago. Kobe White in multiple picks is interesting. That's going to be the smart teams. Let's see who does it. Let's see. I'm curious. Right, we keep we keep exposing the good GMs and the bad GMs. We continue to see it. Until next time. I am.